My name is Bill Coglin, and welcome to the First Person Civil War podcast, which retells the stories of the soldiers and officers on the ground in the battles of the Civil War. Today's episode is Episode 1, Artillery Experiences at Petersburg. And the points of view for this episode are that of Private John Malachi Bowden of Company B, 2nd Georgia, and Chaplain Halleck Armstrong of the 50th Pennsylvania. The two stories about the receiving end of artillery at Petersburg are important to this podcast in that these are the stories that motivated me to start in the first place. Stay tuned afterward to hear the full story. Now, on to the first-person accounts. Both of these stories occurred after the Army of the Potomac and the Army of Northern Virginia settled into a siege outside of Petersburg, Virginia. The armies dug networks of trenches and sought to dislodge each other from these positions. Though trenches provided a level of protection, artillery was still a real and deadly threat to men of both sides, and it had varying degrees of psychological effect on some soldiers. Given that Private Bowden's close call with artillery came earlier in the battle, I will retell his story first. Just as a note, these memoirs and correspondence contain date errors of just one day off in relation to official assaults on Forts Gilmer and Stedman. The first primary source for this episode are the memoirs of Private John Malachi Bowden, which are called Some of My Experiences as a Confederate Soldier in the Camp and on the Battlefield in the Army of Northern Virginia. John Malachi Bowden was a teacher from Merriweather County, Georgia, before the war began. After the firing on Fort Sumter on 12 April 1861, John decided to raise a company of infantry, which he succeeded in doing, and the men elected him a first lieutenant. He was anxious to get to the fight and decided to leave the company he raised and instead enlisted as a private in Company B, 2nd Georgia, on 26 August 1861. He stayed in the regiment throughout the war and participated in battles such as Yorktown, Malvern Hill, Fredericksburg, Gettysburg, the Wilderness, and Spotsylvania Courthouse before finding himself at the Siege of Petersburg. During the siege, the 2nd Georgia was assigned to Benning's Brigade, Field's Division of the 1st Corps, Unfortunately, Private Bowden does not provide an exact date or location of his experience, but we know he was located in defenses north of the James River and that it was before 28 September 1864. More on that in a little bit. Wherever the 2nd Georgia was, they did find themselves opposite a unit of mortars, which were a type of artillery piece designed for sieges, which fired an explosive shell at a high arc. If timed correctly, it could explode on impact against a fortification or burst in the air above men in the trenches. Private Bowden talked about the Union mortars' attempts for several days to time the rounds to impact in their trenches. And he says, When they were fired, we could watch the shell or missile like you watch a bird as it went up and came down. And then he continues, their shrieks becoming shriller and shriller as the time to explode approached. Of the number of days that this went on, he did not say. 
But it became commonplace to a certain extent, and that is when it became almost deadly for Private Bowden, as he recalled. One day, I was intently watching one of these mortar shells as it went up, and approached apparently right toward where I stood in the ditch. Our boys in the company calculated, and decided that it would just about fall in the ditch. They at once broke ranks, running up and down the ditch to give it a wide berth. I stood coolly, trying to determine whether it would fall in the ditch or go over. I thought, if it went over, I would lie down in the ditch and thus be protected. If it fell within the trench, I would run into a bomb-proof, and meaning it's a structure for protection. A bomb-proof just behind the ditch about our feet. These were constructed with heavy logs, with much dirt piled upon them. Here we would be protected from exploding shells. I thought that this shell would go over the ditch, passing over my head. And the only danger, then, would be that the fuse might burn out and explode the shell before it went over me. So I decided to lie down in the ditch. As I decided upon this, the shell exploded about 15 feet above my head. The concussion was awful. And as I was in the act of lying down, it drove me against the bottom of the ditch with tremendous force. A piece of the shell as large as a man's fist brushed my right ear and went 12 or 15 inches into the ground. I was stunned to unconsciousness until reaction set in. The other boys were about 30 feet away on either side. As I recovered consciousness, I heard the boys say, it got bowed in that time. They rushed up to carry me to the ambulance corps, and thence to the charnel house. And today we would call that a morgue. To the charnel house, when I recovered strength and got up without their help. Given that Private Bowden was a veteran of several years by the time of this incident, it is understood that he knew how deadly artillery was. But still, associating deadly artillery with that of a bird and viewing artillery as a form of entertainment almost cost him his life. By late September 1864, the 10th Corps, Army of the James, attacked the defensive line approximately seven miles south of Richmond, which included Fort Gilmer, manned by the 2nd Georgia. During the attack, Union forces gained a foothold in the fort and captured several men, to include Private Bowden. Before the tide of battle eventually forced the Union back, Private Bowden was already sent to the rear. He eventually found himself at Point Lookout Prison along the Chesapeake Bay in Maryland, where he would remain until the end of the war. After the war, John Malachi Bowden became a reverend in Georgia and started a family. One of his sons, named Whiteman, believed that his father's story should be recorded for future generations of the Bowden family. Reverend Bowden agreed and dictated his war experiences to his son. The result being, Some of my experiences as a Confederate soldier in the camp and on the battlefield in the Army of Northern Virginia. The next primary source is that of Chaplain Armstrong, who wrote letters to his wife and family, which were later compiled into a short book entitled Letters from a Pennsylvania Chaplain at the Siege of Petersburg, 1865. 
Chaplain Halleck Armstrong was the chaplain of the 50th Pennsylvania in the final months of the war. From 1858 to 1862, Chaplain Armstrong was the pastor in Sullivan County, Pennsylvania, and a superintendent of schools for almost the same amount of time. From 1862 until early 1865, he was a pastor and teacher at Monroeton in Bradford County, Pennsylvania. From February to July 1865, he served as chaplain and was in the trenches with the 50th Pennsylvania by the 24th of February. As an interesting note, as he was a chaplain, he was not mustered into service until the next day in the trenches. The 50th Pennsylvania had seen extensive service from 1861 to 1865, present at battles such as Antietam, Fredericksburg, and the Overland Campaign. Throughout the war, the 50th Pennsylvania was assigned to the 9th Corps, and during the final months of the siege was in the 1st Division under General Wilcox, 2nd Brigade under the command of Colonel Eli. In March, they were positioned in the vicinity of Fort Stedman, but Chaplain Armstrong never stated their exact position. His correspondence to his wife and family formed the basis of his book, and for several days he regaled them of army life, from the mundane to several rumors, and a break in church service due to a Confederate attack on the 14th of March. By 19 March, he talked of the rumor in the Union Army that Richmond was being evacuated, but they remained in their positions. On 20 March, Chaplain Armstrong recounted to his wife an artillery duel between the two armies. And he said, Yesterday, two more ladies rode to the front on horseback. Of course, all eyes were turned towards them. An elephant straying in our midst would not have created half the excitement. They rode in full-dress rig, attended by gaily dressed officers, and probably the sisters of some officers. How would you like to come to so strange a place as the army? And that was a question to his wife in his letters. He continues, Can't say I want to see you here. The shelling for two hours on our left one mile distant yesterday afternoon was more diabolical than anything I have yet heard or witnessed. Our boys were holding a review, and the Rebs opened on to them. We bore it until review was over, and then pitched into the Rebs. For two hours, a gun was fired or a shell burst as often as once a second, on a front of about one mile. Sometimes, it was one continuous roar for a few moments. I hastened to my favorite hill in the rear, where I could overlook the panorama, and was at the same time out of danger. It was sublime. How did they pound each other? Yet, as a result of this firing, only one of our men was hit. The Rebs may not have lost much more. Old troops know how to dodge shells. Their course can generally be traced in the air, and between the flash of the gun, or even the sound, there is quite an interval. By Chaplain Armstrong's account, artillery became a spectacle to behold. Though he did have the ability to move to relatively safe places on a battlefield, he did stay with his men while in the fortifications. It is also interesting of note that the regiment had civilian visitors the day after such a heavy artillery exchange. On the evening of 23 March, the 50th Pennsylvania, along with the rest of the 2nd Brigade, vacated their positions around Fort Stedman for new fortifications approximately 5 miles north. 
the division's 3rd Brigade took up those positions around Fort Stedman and had the misfortune of being on the receiving end of the 25th March Confederate morning assault on Fort Stedman. The 50th Pennsylvania was not present for the recapture, but Chaplain Armstrong did arrive by 8 a.m. and assisted the wounded and dying. After seeing the effects of artillery upon the battlefield, Chaplain Armstrong had a more realistic viewpoint. And he recounted, I went to the hospital and worked as I was able until night. Our losses were not heavy, but the rebel loss was frightful. And how they were torn and mangled by shell and grape. Grape shot, in essence, turned the artillery piece into a shotgun. He continues, by shell and grape. The scenes that I witnessed and the sounds heard on the battlefield and in the hospital are not to be written or told. I cannot think of drawing the veil and attempting to hold these scenes up to your view. I can now see why sensible soldiers are so reticent in regard to the battles in which they were engaged. It is interesting how the psychological effect of artillery can change just by getting closer and seeing how it can mangle a human body. For Chaplain Armstrong, it was an immediate effect, and his subsequent letters contained little awe in seeing an artillery exchange. After the war, Chaplain Armstrong returned to Pennsylvania, where he preached in several locations until he retired in 1901, and died in 1904. Halleck F. Raup edited and published these letters in 1961, which became one of the books for today's episode, entitled Letters from a Pennsylvania Chaplain at the Siege of Petersburg, 1865. And now a little more information about these two stories in relation to your hosts. While selecting topics for my master's degree thesis, I landed on the psychological effects of artillery at Petersburg for my second topic. I ultimately opted for my first topic, which was recruitment of the Irish Brigade during the Civil War. However, these two stories have lived rent-free in my head for about two years, and that I wanted to explore this topic further. Over that time, what I wanted to do with these stories is what we have here today, First Person Civil War Podcast. Thank you for listening to the first episode. If you like what you heard today and would like to hear more episodes in the future, please consider supporting us financially by donating at the podcast website, firstpersoncivilwarpodcast.com. Again, that is firstpersoncivilwarpodcast.com. The donation link is located at the top of each webpage. While there, you can find information on where I found these first-person accounts, other source material, and links to further episodes of the podcast. That is all I have for this episode. My name is Bill Coglin, and thank you for listening to First Person Civil War Podcast.